Portland, Oregon honors the world's oldest drag queen. This is TFG Unbuttoned. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. An off-the-cuff take on politics, pop culture, and current events. Hello, everybody. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. We are the Tuesday podcast from the Focus Group, TFG Unbuttoned. Be sure to find us and all of our information at focusgroupradio.com. While you're there, you'll see our sponsors, including Critics' Choice Video, which has been a partner of ours here since we started our Tuesday podcast. Be sure to click on their logo and start shopping away for some great deals. It is America's oldest movie and TV authority since 1987. How are you, Mr. Nash? I am doing good. We're halfway through July. Um, we're all in the grips of the dog days of summer. You know, every summer rolls around and I think to myself, maybe it's going to be perfect temperature and no humidity. <laughs> and then, of course, I'm always knocked off that horse because then the humidity comes in. I don't mind the heat. I never have minded the heat. I could go bike riding, whatever. It's the humidity. And I went riding the other day and I'm riding along and I'm thinking, wow, it's really hot. And I, I looked at my skin and it was just glistening. And I thought, oh, yeah, there's no evaporation occurring. <laughs> it's, it's humid. So, but I, then, I, you know, yeah. go ahead. No, no, no. The, the humidity, though, I, I'm with you. But, you know, the Northeast is famous for its humidity, I guess, and, and unless you get above Bangor, Maine. But um, there was all the discussion about uh, the West Coast. And Arizona and Texas and, and the heat uh, dome. Yeah. The heat dome. But I, and I, I laughed a little bit because I remembered the old skit from um, uh, Sam Kennison where he, he said, you know, we have deserts too. We don't live in them. When uh, they were talking about. <laughs> he was going to give people Samsonite luggage right, or something, right? right? The famine in Africa. Yeah. Get out of the know, desert. They don't need food. They need luggage. But, <laughs> but I was yeah. thinking the same thing because I. Richard and I were watching this whole thing of in, in Arizona and Texas and so forth. And I said, you know, it used to be that you the snowbirds would head to Palm Springs or head to to Phoenix or whatever. You wouldn't go there in the summer or you certainly wouldn't live there or try to live there year round. Same with Florida to a certain extent. But we've decided that these now are year round destinations. And uh, as one of the mayors or well, the mayor from Mesa came on and says, you know, it's not uncommon for us to have 120 degrees in the summer. Yeah. He said, so, you know, yes, it's a little hotter, but, yeah. you know, so I, I don't know. I, I think um, if you want to live in, it, you and I have mentioned this before, there is a desert and they've added all this growth, which I don't think has been managed correctly. They've now introduced lawns, green lawns, golf courses, which put a lot of water and moisture in the air, which has now created humidity. And uh, I think it'd be miserable to be out there. You know, you, Bob and I used to go out to the Palm Springs a great deal long before we bought our house, which became our destination upstate. Um, and we've been out there on July 4th weekends. Now I'm going back 20 some years and it was dry, dry heat. And you would, the saving grace was these things called misters, you know, those, they would right. mist water and you would feel that in the air where temperature would cool a little bit and it was fine. We hung out in the pool. We, and when we went walking around, it was usually late in the day and it was just that dry heat. I think the last time we were out there though, I noticed quite a difference in the, the air quality. And I think it's what you're talking about. Right. And, um, yeah, so that's, Hey, it's summer. And, you know, I, I, sometimes when I'm really hot and humid or I'm sweating or something, I, I, I purposely remind myself that I would want to feel this way in February. 
right? When it's zero degrees out. Okay, I'm not going to mind 90 with high humidity, right? Yeah, I I hate the humidity, though. We've not been able to use our, our screened-in porch, which I think will eventually be made into a dining room because I think we'll get far more use out of a dining room. The, the last, I would say, four years, um, it's almost been unusable in the summer. Too hot? It's hot or it's very muggy and damp. And um, so it's it's just not uh, not getting used like mm. uh, like we had hoped. But when we first moved here, it was um, you know you'd wear a sweatshirt at night in July. I remember, yeah. Oh, very, I've been down. I've been down there. Nice. And I, we've had dinner on the porch, it, yeah. and, and an evening when it was like kind of crisp. It wasn't hot, it wasn't cold, but it was like a nice cool evening, right? Yeah. So it's not. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens, but. Uh, so yes, you're right. It's summer, and it's it'll be August, and then what? Two more months. It'll be, you know, we'll be thinking about fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so let's keep the summer around for a let's while. Keep the summer around. So we've got uh, three stories here on TFG Unbuttoned. Is how it works. Three stories that uh, John and I have looked at over the week, and we think uh, you may not hear elsewhere, or that uh, we thought we would uh, would discuss. So the first one involves our friends in Florida. And uh, a little bit of a head-scratcher. The headline is, Florida Gay Nude Resort Can't Ban Woman Judge Rules. So many, many people know, particularly in Key West, there's a number of clothing-optional resorts that cater primarily or do cater to gay men. And um, there was a woman uh, who challenged the, uh, challenged the, what's the, the, word policy. the policy of having men only in these gay resorts and said that it was um, even though she's cisgendered, she said she thought it was discriminatory against cisgender women and transgender or non-binary people that wouldn't be able to stay at these guest houses because they weren't, uh, you know, put in quote men. Um, I don't know what to make of this. I, I have a couple of I, I, I call counterpoints. But what was your what was your takeaway on this? I've been to the Island House, which is the other. Or she so she filed suit against um, New Orleans House, and then about a mile away is Island House. A lot of uh, guys know Island House from their ads. It's like a drawing of a guy. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why a woman would want to be in either of these resorts um, where there's clothing optional, where it's primarily, if not a hundred percent, gay men uh, relaxing and entertaining themselves. You know, it's like. <laughs> Um, and I know the point she's making philosophically, but from a reality point of view, these, these, um, these businesses have been up and running for, I don't want to say days, decades, you know, this is Key West, right? And so here's this woman, Amina uh, Chaudhry, who's 38 years old. She's denied the ability to make a recommendation or a reservation at New Orleans house. And then she takes this to court. So a couple thoughts. Boy, do we live in a litigious society. You could sue anybody for anything, right? Yeah. My, my mail didn't come at 1 o'clock. I'm going to sue the U.S. Post Office. It came at one thirty. I mean, I'm being ridiculous. but you're not. Um, so she gets an unfavorable ruling in the first court. And then this uh, another judge, uh, Judge Brittany Finkbainer, recommended that the Florida Commission on Human Relations should find that the New Orleans House engaged in unlawful discrimination. Um. And I just scratched my head at this. Like, okay, so now, and, and because of what Tim didn't, didn't say here at the very end of the article, she says that she has no intention um, of going to these places. You know, she, she says if the commission rules in her favor, Chaudhry says she does not intend to stay at New Orleans House, having only challenged the resort's guest policy out of principle. 
but feels completely vindicated by the judge's findings. Okay, so if you flip this around, and I'm, I don't know what letter she identifies with in the LGBTQ spectrum, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but let's say she's a lesbian. And she was at a clothing optional resort for lesbians, and a guy wanted to book a room there. And if you turn tables on this, tell me that's going to be acceptable to them. No. Yeah. No. Or I looked at this. There's a number of um, uh, male spas, I guess, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, bathhouses. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing. Um, would women, first of all, why any woman or non-binary or whatever would want to wander through one of those places? You and I took a tour. Well, you and I took a tour of some of these clothing yeah. places yeah. in Palm Springs. Not a place um, for most people. I don't care who you are. Not a place for most people overall. <laughs> That's, yeah. So well, it's why, a specific thing, right? Specific thing. Specific. So why, you know, the, people are there for sex and it's, um, and that's that. So it, you're right. It'd be no different than when, if a male decided he's going to push his way into one of the very popular, no men allowed lesbian bars. And that used to happen yeah. in New York City. One of the owners of New Orleans House said it, it. I think he's nailed it. He said, there's areas of the hotel that are set aside for men to be nude. I mean, it's like if I showed up at L.A. Fitness and as a man, I insisted on standing in the women's dressing room. Right. I mean, it's, an, it's it, OK. So you can say, oh, it's not quite the right. But it's not a bad analogy. I mean, that's because she's basically saying, I want to be able to go here and be here. And I don't, you know. And she has no intention of even using the right once it's been granted by the court. So it's, yeah. She's being crazy is what she's being. Well, she actually things. said at the end of the article, she goes, living in Key West and going through all of this, there's this, there's just this kind of pervasive sense that I was the one in the wrong. Like I was some kind of crazy lunatic who was going against the natural order of things. Well, I don't want to disparage her, but we all know... <laughs> As gay men, we all know exactly what the guest houses at Key West, right? It's for clothing optional, it's for meeting guys, whatever. So that seems to be the natural order of things for Key West. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to stereotype. If I was a profiler, if I was having to draw a picture, I could draw a perfect picture of what this one looked like. So if I, you know, the the uh, the sketch artist. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Leave it at that. The... um. The second story, we, John and I, over the over the years, particularly when we were in uh, Sirius XM, have had the pleasure of having um, Josh and Brent from the Beekman Boys uh, on our show. In this story, although this was a press release that came out, it, and uh, there was a, a lot that's been in the news, particularly with the new Barbie movie that came out, um, that the Beekman Boys, and they changed their, their, their company as Beekman 1802 mm -hmm. and uh, in upstate New York. And if you remember way back when, they started with goat milk because they had these goats on the, on the farm. Oh, they were little raising. goats, yeah. <laughs> and uh, had, the, had goat milk products, and they really just had one goat milk bar. And I remember one of the interviews we had where Josh was frustrated that Brent insisted that everything be uh, homemade hand -folded. there. And then hand-folded and wrapped with a little <laughs> ribbon. He's like, let's, you know. We need to get volume here. We need to, because Josh had a background in advertising, like we need to move product. And Brent was very concerned more of Martha Stewartish, because he had to have happened to work for her about kind of this authenticity of the product. Lo and behold, they become, I had no idea, they're the largest, uh, the largest um, goat, I guess, goat milk product um, company in the world now. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had no idea. But they're looking, they came out with a new product, and it's a potato peel. Uh, rapid resurfacing uh, facial, milk facial. And they were looking for a celebrity spokesperson like a lot of brands do or, or cosmetic brands do and so forth. 
and ended up with Mrs. Potato Head, which I thought was very funny and very much on brand with them. And uh, so that's why I picked the story that to me, although this was a press release, I thought that would be what uh, Josh and Brent did here with this playful, um, playful character, Mrs. Potato Head to represent their new product was very much on brand for them. Oh, oh, Tim, when you sent this over, I just smiled because as Tim said a moment ago, we, we do have the pleasure of knowing Brent and Josh. They've been on the show a number of times, including one of our holiday spectaculars. Right? Yeah, when they brought us goat milk bars. <laughs> and, they brought us, and, and they are so fun and easy to talk to. And I know the blood, sweat and tears that went into launching Beekman 1802. And you alluded to the fact that, you know, John, <laughs> Brent would be sitting in a a, a, a room at a folding table, individually folding soap bars and let's get them out. But it was that attention to detail and it was their um, their vision that led them to this point. And I think picking Mrs. Potato Head as a celebrity spokesperson for the potato peel is really perfect. And the other thing that's great about her, in light of everything that's going on with all these influencers and all the backlash and stuff, it's kind of hard to get upset about Mrs. Potato Head, unless I'm crazy. <laughs> No, I, I thought it was just a, such a smart move, and of course it it, uh, I, it it's, it's exactly what you said. You just smiled about it because as everybody's right, rubbing themselves all over celebrity and all kinds of things, I thought that uh, that was the perfect uh, perfect uh, celebrity for them to Tim, use. Tim, who was the woman that played? I think she voiced Mrs. Potato Head in the Toy Story movies. She was George Costanza's. Yeah, Estelle. Um, Estelle. Um, Estelle Getty. No, I want, no, Estelle Getty was the Golden Girls. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, I think it was Estelle, right? Yeah, and, and we actually saw her, um, speaking of Palm Springs, we saw her at Palm Springs. Um, Perhaps it's Estelle Harris? Let me see, Miss, uh, Estelle Harris, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, she, she played Estelle Costanza on Seinfeld. I exactly. loved her. And, and, you know, the thing about her and the voice and her, the, the she brought to life this character in Toy Story that many, many, many people know Toy Story. We all grew up with Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head, but obviously she brought it to life for the movies. So I think the funny thing, the tie-in that they're doing is we all kind of know the personality of Mrs. Potato yeah. Head, which is really funny and you know, and and so I think it's a really great, and this is just this must be Josh, right, with his uh, advertising background. Um, yeah. It's a really good alignment, and I think it's it's going to do well for the brand. They're smart business people. I read somewhere where I think they've sold part of their business, or at least a big chunk of it, for over a hundred million dollars. So good for them. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, it all, and it all happened by going up to look for apples one weekend in upstate New York when they looked. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What did you and Bob do? You could have gone up and looked for apples. Yeah, we, 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 we were, yeah. Another we were, thing you missed, goat bars. Another thing we missed. We should have raised goats. Yeah, there you go. You had the room. You should have done what we were thinking. So uh, Bob could do tomatoes. Maybe you do tomato thing. The, uh, our third story here is uh, Portland will name a public square after the late iconic drag queen Darcel. So um, many people may know or may not know. I used to live in Portland, Oregon, so I particularly picked this. And I remember um, going out with some friends from rowing, all straight guys. And uh, they were all going out one night and they're going, we're going to go to Darcell's. And I said, what's Darcell's? I had no idea. They said, oh, she's really old drag queen. It's really funny thing. And in Portland, it was just known that Darcell's was there forever. Um, she it was known as when she just died last March at 92, but known as the world's oldest. She was the Guinness Book of World Records, legendary world's oldest uh, drag queen. And uh, she had a place downtown in Oregon, a a uh, a club called Darcell's 15. 
which um, was renowned, um, not only in Portland, but uh, around the world. And she did lots of um, great stuff for the community, always the first one to offer her club for fundraisers and and not just LGBTQ causes, but mm-hmm, many things. Yeah. She really transcended the uh, what it meant to be a good member of the community. And um, so I thought this was very cool that with all the bad news we hear about drag queens or uh, what's going on in the anti-LGBTQ legislation, the city of Portland, Oregon, uh, decided to rename O'Brien Square in honor of her. So it'll be called Dar- Darcel uh, 15 Plaza which signifies the progress we have made. This is according to the mayor progress. We have made as a city in embracing diversity and embracing LGBTQ plus history. So uh, that's going to happen uh, if it hasn't already uh, in Portland, Oregon. So I just, Oh, it happened on July 13th. Okay. So last week. Yeah. So I read this and I think it's great. And um, Darcel 15 show place is like the West coast longest running drag show. As Tim said, she has been an amazing uh, philanthropic presence in the community, gift certificates for kids, always donating the club for use for memorials, whatever it may be. But then my mind wandered a bit. And is is Oregon the state where people um, in the East want to kind of split the state and move yes. over to oh. Yeah, I'm sure this is driving uh, driving Thank the uh, uh, Eastern Oregon crazy. Yeah, Eastern Oregon wants to join Idaho because right. they feel Portland has gone too woke and is too crazy. It's no no different than Seattle and Western, or, or I'm sorry, Eastern Eastern Washington. They uh, so I had this vision <laughs> that somewhere in Eastern Oregon there is oh the in, the old square was called O'Brien Square. So right. I imagine in Eastern Oregon there's a there's the O'Brien family and they're spinning like tops because how <laughs> dare they take those woke people in Portland took our square away and they gave it to Darcel. That's what crosses. Well, this happens in some of these big, or in some of the large states that have one anchor city. So Portland, you know, for for the state of Oregon, or Seattle for the state of state of Washington, and it controls because it's no different than in many cases. Probably New York City has a, even though the footprint is small in terms of density of people and the power that New York City has in terms of not only economics but in terms of people voting, could probably turn. Um, New York very blue, even though there's many parts of New York State, as you know, that uh, that oh, are. Oh yeah, right? totally. Yeah, and so, but this really takes effect in some of these Western states where there's this one city, and then the you know the rest of the state gets gets all exercised because they feel that uh, Portland is essentially just dictating how the rest of the state should be. Portland is very very liberal place. Um, now I haven't lived there in a number of years, but. I think they were the very first to uh, to legalize assisted suicide for wow okay for uh, for people with terminal illnesses. They've uh, allowed the use of mushrooms for uh, medicinal purposes, uh, very much like Colorado in that way. So, um, yeah, I'm sure you're exactly right that uh, there's there's someone <laughs> the rest of the state is tuned up if they even know about it. They said the uh, that the Portland Parks Foundation was rehabbing the square which is located uh, on none other than Harvey Milk Street, which must be new because I don't remember that when I lived there, too. Mm, so. Yeah. So good job for... Uh, I think so, unless you're the uh, O'Brien out in <laughs> East Oregon who's like, how dare they take my square away? Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, boy. All right, folks, uh, we want to thank you for joining us here on uh, TFGM Button. Be sure to check out the Focus Group, which is our slightly longer show. If you're already following us on one of your podcast platforms of choice, then you're already getting it in your feed. Or you could check out uh, focusgroupradio.com to learn about all of our other shows and where you can locate our stuff, including video. We do have a video that goes with the, the Focus Group on YouTube. And a big thanks to Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987. They've been with us from the start of TFGN Button. I want to draw your quick attention on their homepage. If you went to ccvideo.com, they have a new release out. It's Tom Mix, Sky High. It's a uh, silent film that was introduced to us a few, well, probably two months ago by uh, Ben Modell. Modell, sorry. And he is the uh, owner and uh, producer of Undercrank Productions and... I like the cover of this thing, and I like the name Tom Mix. You know, I've heard this pop up in other things, so I'm like, I should check out Tom Mix. So anyway, have a, uh, a great week, and we'll see you on The Focus Group. It's The Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Available every Tuesday. Learn more about Tim and John, Unbuttoned, and all of The Focus Group platforms at focusgroupradio.com. <laughs>